Welcome to the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast, a free resource for gymnast parents and coaches to learn to fuel the gymnast for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. I'm your host, Christina Anderson, and I'm a pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, a former gymnast, a current nationally rated gymnastics judge, and a wife plus dog mom. I help gymnasts and their parents learn to fuel without the stress or overwhelm so that they can reach their big goals and dreams both in and out of the sport. We want to help parents take a proactive approach to nutrition, and to do so, this podcast is all about hashtag real talk, where we tackle tough subjects about nutrition, body image, and more in the sport of gymnastics. All right, let's dive in. You are listening to episode 63 of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast. Hello and welcome back. It's Christina Anderson, your pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, and Today, I have a very interesting episode for you. Um, It's quite a medical-focused episode, but it's been a long time coming because a lot of the gymnasts that we work with um, struggle with what I'm going to share about today, Um, as well as just, I think, a lot of gymnasts that are out there, right, that aren't necessarily our clients, but, you know, their parents are asking these questions in the Facebook groups, they're asking other parents, and then I think a lot of gymnasts struggle with some of these issues, and they don't even know that it's a problem, right? Because I think gymnasts are so incredibly tough that oftentimes it's just like, well, that was weird, but I'm just going to assume that it's normal. So I want to share with you the three top reasons why your gymnast might complain of dizziness. And it's first important to put out a disclaimer that while I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, I am not your registered dietitian nutritionist unless we are formally working one-on-one together. And this is also not medical advice. So if your gymnast is struggling with any of these issues, please go see your pediatrician. You might need a referral to maybe a cardiologist or a neurologist. I always would advocate for a comprehensive nutrition assessment because that often um, uncovers vital information that can be a huge asset in the doctor's workup, um, in their differential diagnosis. And it's often kind of the most overlooked piece of, of a workup. So with that out of the way, we also have to clarify between dizziness versus lightheadedness. So a lot of gymnasts will, um, you know, finish a bar routine or they'll stand up too quickly, or they'll be in the middle of a floor routine and they'll complain that they feel dizzy and dizzy is typically more like vertigo or imbalance. Like the room is spinning. Um, it could be accompanied by having trouble moving your eyes normally. And then lightheadedness, which is what I think a lot more gymnasts struggle with is, more common during and after exercise. And it's the sensation of feeling faint or like you're about to faint or like everything is getting super dark or it's fuzzy or blurry, or you're seeing stars, or you feel like you're going to pass out. There are some medical reasons why someone might have these symptoms and both of the conditions that I'm going to share with you about, um, they really have three main kind of nutritional root cause approaches Um, that we'll wrap up with today that I think will be relevant to all of you. So there are two forms of what we call orthostatic intolerance that can contribute to these feelings. And so one of them is called POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia. So this is a sustained increase in heart rate of at least 30 beats per minute in adults or 40 beats per minute in individuals aged 12 to 19 within 10 minutes of standing. So tachycardia means increased heart rate. There is no orthostatic hypotension in this condition. So um, it's not actually a low blood pressure issue. 
it's the it's more of a nervous system issue. Although this is the tricky part, you can have symptoms of orthostatic intolerance. So those are the symptoms of lightheadedness, um, heart palpitations, tremors, chest discomfort. And to be diagnosed with POTS, you have to have those present for at least three months. And the doctors need to rule out other conditions that could cause an increased heart rate, like panic attacks, pain, exercise, caffeine, alcohol, medications, iron deficiency, anemia, which we'll talk about, inappropriate sinus tachycardia, hyperthyroidism, and dehydration. So some of these symptoms of POTS would be this orthostatic tachycardia, so increased heart rate from sitting to standing or just when standing, um, orthostatic intolerance, so the dizziness, lightheadedness, etc., fatigue, um, autonomic system, so blood pooling, uh, gastrointestinal symptoms, increased or decreased sweating, headaches, cognitive dysfunction, pain, sleep disturbance, or exercise intolerance. And then orthostatic hypertension is a little bit of the opposite, even though it has a lot of the same symptoms. So this is defined as a drop in blood pressure with a change in position. So for individuals who have orthostatic hypotension, the body is not able to appropriately compensate and maintain an adequate blood pressure to send blood to the brain when standing. So this can be acute, so only occurring occurring a few times and resolving, or it can be chronic, lasting longer and occurring more frequently. It can also be asymptomatic, meaning that you don't notice symptoms of this, or it can be certainly debilitating. So this would be diagnosed as a drop in systolic blood pressure. So that's the first number when they do your blood pressure reading. So a drop in that greater than 20 or drop in your diastolic greater than 10 within three minutes of standing or with 60 degrees of tilt on a tilt table test, which is something that a physician may do. This increase to a drop of more than 30 systolic or more than 15 diastolic in individuals with subine hypertension. So orthostatic hypertension symptoms include lightheadedness or dizziness, syncope or presyncope, which is fainting, fatigue, blurred vision, brain fog, weakness, nausea, headache, heart palpitations, chest pain, neck and shoulder pain, or shortness of breath. So as you can see, there is certainly a lot of overlap between these two conditions. And we do work with gymnasts who have been diagnosed by POTS. Um, Often they're followed by a cardiologist, sometimes a neurologist. Um, Sometimes they are followed by very special dysautonomia clinics that honestly you're you're not going to find unless you're at like a major medical system like Children's Hospital of Philadelphia or, you know, the Boston Children's Hospital, something like that. Um, and sometimes they need medication and oftentimes it's really just lifestyle modifications, AKA nutrition, which is why it's so important to be on top of your gymnast nutrition and to reach out to a sports dietitian who is trained and all these things. If we're having issues, even if you're, you're going through the medical workup, um, it's so important to rule out any sort of nutrition issues. So the three main nutrition issues that I see in gymnasts who complain of these issues, which I will say I certainly had symptoms of orthostatic hypotension uh, as a gymnast. And I'm not shocked because number one, I was massively underfueled. And because of that, I definitely was probably lower body weight than maybe I should have been. And to try to control my body weight, I wasn't eating enough and wasn't, was never hydrating enough. Um, because of all of that, I was a super clean eater and I was terrified of anything with sodium because I had heard that it would make you bloated and in my head bloated equaled fat. So it was just one hot mess to give me these symptoms. And I remember, you know, as a teenager, I would go from laying to sitting or sitting to standing. And, you know, I feel like I was going to black out. Like you would get up from the couch and you have to like bend over and grab the couch for a second, because if you didn't, um, it felt like you were going to fall over. And 
I honestly, even after I recovered from my eating disorder, um, I still had a lot of these symptoms even until kind of recent years, uh, because like a good dietitian, (laughs) I really didn't use a lot of sodium. Like I didn't grow up in a household that used a lot of sodium. I think my mom bought low sodium, like vegetables and canned foods, which I mean, honestly, we hardly ate those. Um, we never had a salt shaker on the table. And so because of that, in one way, I just didn't develop um, a strong liking for stuff that's salty. I'm really more of a sweet girl, but also I think there was some of those fears there, which was only further cemented in my dietetic education and being taught about the DASH diet and high blood pressure and all the things. And for myself, I actually had to significantly increase my electrolyte and sodium intake to get rid of these symptoms. Uh, and it's been super nice. <laughs> it's really nice to be able to uh, get up from bed or get up from the couch and not feel like you're going to pass out. So anyhow, I digress. But the three main reasons that we see gymnasts struggling with these symptoms, which you can have POTS-like symptoms, you can have you know orthostatic hypotension that can be more acute. Um, the three reasons are number one, inadequate caloric intake and carbohydrate availability underhydration slash inadequate electrolyte consumption and low iron status. So I want to go through each of these real quick, just to give you um, some things to put on your radar to look out for, because this, you know, if your gymnast is having any of these symptoms, you need to see um, a medical provider and you really do need to work with a dietitian, especially if your gymnast is training 20 or 30 hours a week, because the reality is more than likely that doctor or whomever is not really going to know how to fully support your gymnast nutrition, right? Like they can make recommendations on electrolytes and they can make recommendations on, you know, medications if those are indicated. But the fact of the matter is that your gymnast is probably already underfueled, which is going to play into all three of these nutrition issues. And so for a really thinking root cause approach, we've got to approach that one first. So Number one, underfueling and REDS or relative energy deficiency in sport. When you don't eat enough, your body essentially goes in low power mode and your body has a lot of different mechanisms and adaptations to conserve your energy. Um, you can have low blood sugar because of inadequate carbohydrate availability, AKA you have depleted um, stores of carbohydrate or glycogen in your muscles and in your liver. And so this is a big reason. Um, I have a gymnast that I was working with recently that Um, was not eating enough and was actually eating a really low carb diet for various reasons. And she actually couldn't really compete all of last season because after one tumbling pass, she was super dizzy and she had been tested for POTS um, because it's something that runs in her family and it was ruled out. And so no one really had any answers as to what the problem was. And so when I first saw her, I was like, well, number one, I think you're massively number underfueled. Number two, also you need more carbs considering that gymnastics is a high intensity anaerobic sport that runs on carbs. But I was kind of thinking more, you know, electrolytes because, you know, when you're low carb, your body wastes more of your electrolytes. When you're super stressed, your body wastes more of your electrolytes because of your adrenals. Um, but she actually just improved her nutrition intake and her carbohydrate intake and that basically hundred percent resolved, um, any feelings of probably lightheadedness if we're going to get really technical, but we'll call it dizziness and that's fine. So very interesting that just off the bat in one week of appropriate fueling, she felt a hundred times better. So not only is resolving these issues important 
so that your gymnast is not feeling lightheaded or dizzy, which is certainly a safety issue during practice, but she cannot perform her best. She cannot recover fully. She will not reach her full potential if she's underfueled. And I talk about this in depth because this really is the number one career killer when it comes to the competitive gymnast. Um, you can listen in depth in episode four about relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, and this is a tough one because, you know, underfueling is often unintentional, but there's a lot of things just in gymnastics culture that make it difficult to um, change the trajectory there. But then if we're going to be really honest, there's also a pretty high rate of disordered eating and eating disorders in gymnastics. I mean, it is an aesthetic sport. And so because of that, there could actually be some intentional restriction, kind of like my own disordered eating story that could be actually causing um, the underfueling. So definitely the number one priority that you have to rule out. Um, the thing about REDS and low energy availability is it can affect every system in the body. So if it's causing your gymnast to feel lightheaded at practice or when she's exercising, um, it's very much likely affecting other organ systems in her body, other aspects of her performance, and she will not reach her full potential if we don't resolve this issue. The good news is the treatment for REDS is adequate nutrition. It's eating more, which is obviously easier said than done, which is why I very much recommend working with a dietitian. Um, that's why we exist. It's also why we accept health insurance. Um, we also have a team of dietitians now. Um, so please reach out if this is something you need support with. Number two reason that gymnasts struggle with either POTS-like symptoms or orthostatic hypotension symptoms is not just, you know, dehydration and underhydration, but also inadequate electrolyte consumption. So these are two um, kind of separate, but certainly related issues. So number one, we know that most gymnasts don't drink enough. In fact, we know from the research that like 74% of young athletes show up to practice already dehydrated. Um, and I think we all know why, right? Number one, it's, it's a thing to have to carry a 20 or 30 ounce bottle with you at school all day and refill it. Number two, um, it's often very difficult, especially these days to go to the bathroom, you know, at school or gymnasts, you know, don't want to have to ask to go to the bathroom. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. Maybe only one person is allowed to go at a time. Maybe the school is just so big and there's so many students that maybe there's only five minutes between classes, but unless you get to the bathroom first, you're not going to have time. And then you don't want to get tardy because if you're tardy to class, then you can, I don't know, you get suspended. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Anyways, so, you know, especially with like very type A striving perfectionist gymnasts who never want to get in trouble, uh, this could be a huge issue. And, you know, when I teach about this in our program, when we talk all about performance, nutrition, and hydration, I teach gymnasts and parents how to calculate how much fluid their gymnast needs in a whole day and then how much they need at training. And I used kind of different parts of the day as benchmarks. And I'm like, look, if you have only had you know, this much to drink by 3 p.m. before practice, that's not going to cut it. You know, you drinking one plastic 16 ounce water bottle from the time you wake up at 7 a.m. until 3 p.m. I mean, unless you're maybe a toddler, like that is not enough hydration. But the reality is that is what most gymnasts are drinking. And so it's no wonder that they're not just lightheaded or dizzy, but they're tired, they're sluggish, they're lethargic. Everything feels heavy. Everything hurts. Um, they have headaches, they are nauseous. All of those symptoms can come from simply not drinking enough. But on the other hand, I have some gymnasts who are excellent drinkers and they fill their 
you know, 32 ounce bottles multiple times a day. They are striving to have clear urine all the time, which is actually not the goal. Um, and they can inadvertently be causing themselves to have some hyponatremia or actually low blood sodium, which yes, you can actually die from that. It is possible to drink too much and it dilutes um, the sodium in your blood and that can cause your brain to swell. So it can cause you to pass out, um, have seizure, be in a coma, death. So yes, it's very possible to drink too much water, which is why again, in the program, we teach journalists how to calculate, you know, exactly what they need. Um, but then the second issue is at some point, especially when you're training three to four plus hours of high intensity gymnastics, if the climate is hot, um, if it's very dry or it's super humid, there comes a point with exercise where you have lost so much sweat that now your electrolytes are imbalanced. And if you were to continue drinking just plain water, there's not enough electrolytes to really transport that water where it needs to go intracellularly, cellularly. So you could be intracellularly dehydrated, even though you're drinking a ton of water. And I had a gymnast like this the other day who practices for five hours a day. Um, she's not in a super hot climate, but the coaches are freezing in the gym. And so they increase the temperature, which obviously coaches standing there versus gymnasts and leotards working out. Um, the gym feels very hot to, to the athletes. And so she definitely is sweating a ton. She's a pretty salty sweater. And she told me in a session, she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm having to go to the bathroom. Like every single event, like I'm going to the bathroom, like four or five times during training, um, which just isn't quite normal. Or maybe it was like five, six, seven. It was, it was definitely excessive. And she certainly didn't have type one diabetes. Like there was nothing medical going on here. And when I asked her a little bit more about what snacks she was taking to gym and what she was drinking, I was like, Ooh, here's the problem. I don't think you're getting enough electrolytes to make up from what you're losing in your sweat. And so you're drinking so much because your brain senses that you are still underhydrated because that water can't go where it needs to into your body because of inadequate electrolytes. And so we got her all fixed up with her performance nutrition strategy, with what food she was taking for intra-workout nutrition with her hydration goals for electrolytes. And the next session I saw her, she was back to normal. Um, she was only going to the bathroom like two or three times during five hour practice, which I think that is um, very reasonable. And, you know, everything was totally fine. So yes, I do have a lot of gymnasts I work with that if they complain of the orthostatic intolerance, I mean, obviously they need to get that worked up medically, but I would say the common theme for all of them is they're not eating enough. They're not eating enough at the right times. They're not drinking enough. And then the other big thing is a lot of them are such clean eaters that like myself as a gymnast, they inadvertently aren't getting enough sodium or electrolytes. And I tell parents all the time, you know, the generalized kind of public health advice about sodium and blood pressure and sugar and all these things like those are not hundred percent applicable to high level gymnasts training 20 or 30 hours a week. And so again, this is why it's so important that we use context when we're looking at nutrition and nutrition guidelines and recommendations. Um, and every athlete is different. And so I've certainly had gymnasts who have needed an incredibly high amount of sodium. Like it would probably scare the average person and it's actually kind of difficult but that is what they've needed to keep their blood pressure stable and to keep their symptoms at bay. The third reason why gymnasts may experience um, generally lightheadedness, right? Feeling like they're going to black out, like things are fuzzy, like they're going to faint 
is actually low iron status. So it could be iron deficiency and or iron deficiency anemia. So um, if you go back to episode eight, all about endurance, um, you'll hear me talk about why it's so important for high level gymnasts to get labs checked twice a year. I talk about the differences between um, having iron insufficiency versus deficiency, deficiency versus anemia. So there's actually three stages. Um, but there was a recent paper, just furthering my point here, um, from the Journal of the American Medical Association showing that 40% of adolescent females and young women are iron deficient. And you would be shocked, but I have pediatricians who fight me on this. You know, most of the clients that we work with, um, I will fax a request their pediatrician saying, Hey, um, I'm a high level sports dietitian working with so-and-so gymnast. She's training 20 or 30 hours, 30 hours a week. And these are kind of standard of care labs that aren't just of my opinion, but like these are documented in the literature. Like these are labs that um, physicians run who support Olympic athletes, who support collegiate athletes. Um, I would say sports medicine physicians do a much better job of being aware of, of what labs need to be drawn. But kind of your standard pediatrician is just not something they come across. And so when I ask them to check an iron level, they will just check a complete blood count looking at the hemoglobin and hematocrit, but those won't decrease until stage three anemia. And in stages one and two of iron insufficiency or iron deficiency, we can have major performance issues, shortness of breath, and da da da, lightheadedness. So all that to say, um, you as a parent have to advocate for your gymnast. Um, there is a lot of research out there supporting um, the need for you know certain labs to be checked to work up someone's iron status. And iron is so important. So every blood cell in your body has a molecule of iron. That is what binds oxygen and carries it to your brain, to your muscles, to your organs. And when you're not getting enough um, oxygen, you're going to have difficulty breathing. You can have headaches. You can have lightheadedness. Um, your blood vessels will swell, which causes your blood pressure to drop. And then that can also result in these orthostatic intolerance symptoms. So... All that to say, I highly recommend that if your gymnast is having these symptoms, that you seek out the support from a registered dietitian, because like I said, getting an initial nutrition assessment of their nutrition intake, their caloric, their carbohydrate intake, their electrolyte intake, their fluid intake, um, getting appropriate nutrition related labs done, looking at their fueling throughout the day in and around training, all of those can be such vital pieces of information that also can then be relayed back to the physician. And that's how I view my role, right? I am kind of an extension to where, you know, when I worked in the clinic for um, several pediatric endocrinologists, they really heavily relied on my nutrition assessment in their assessment, because there are, you know, some conditions where, um, you know, nutrition could mimic um, a more serious medical issue or vice versa. And so it's really important to have that piece versus I think a lot of Um, physicians are kind of flying blind because they're not actually looking at the nutrition piece. And I think anytime you're working with a high level athlete, not just a gymnast that's training 20 or 30 hours a week, there's a very high chance that they're under fueled, that they're not eating enough of the right things at the right times. And so anytime we're having medical issues, we have to make sure that we're doing our due diligence um, in the nutrition arena as well. So if you want to learn more, or if you're not sure how your nutrition Uh, your gymnast nutrition is stacking up. I have a new quiz for parents and gymnasts called how was your gymnast competition season nutrition? Because it is September. We are officially in preseason. 
and we must look back before we move ahead. So in order to not make the same mistakes that you made last season and probably many seasons before that, um, if you'll go to the show notes or go to our website, christinaandersonrdn.com slash quiz, you can take our super short two-minute nutrition quiz to see how your gymnast nutrition is doing um, and to be pointed towards some helpful resources that will give you some more information. So with that, I hope you found this helpful. If you liked this kind of more medically focused episode, please let me know. Uh, Leave us a review. Send me a DM on Instagram. If you have other topics that you are wondering about, let me know. Um, This podcast is for you all, and I hope it is a helpful resource. So with that, I'm going to sign off, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast sponsored by the Balanced Gymnast Method course. Make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on any episodes. You can find any links that we mentioned in the show notes of the episode and also how you can work with us. If you're looking to learn to fuel your gymnast for optimal performance without the stress or overwhelm, feel free to email us if you have any questions. You can reach us at support at christinaandersonrdn.com, share what's going on, and we'll get back to you. Or you can learn more about our programs by going to our website, christinaandersonrdn.com slash work with us. Bye for now.